have you guys gotten anything out of these Beatitudes? Have you put any of these things to practice? Have you realized that what Jesus is really trying to do here in Matthew chapter 5 of teaching the Sermon on the Mount is he's really trying to help us understand the gospel. He's given us this gospel presentation of saying, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got to admit that you're weak, that you don't have what it takes. Like you, There's nothing that you can do to make things right with God. So he says, blessed are, are, are the poor in spirit. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because once you admit that, hey, this is all, I can't do this, then you, you're going to have to come to a term that you mourn over your sin, realizing that the damage that sin has caused relationally, not just between you and the people around you, but the damage that sin has caused relationally between you and God. And then we said last week that um, blessed are the meek. That's because when you're meek, it's when you've realized, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And, and so Jesus is the only one that can fix the problem. And he says that blessed are those who are meek because they're going to inherit the earth. And once you realize you're meek, you realize that you're a sinner, which is the gospel being played out, and you realize that Jesus is the only thing. When you're at rock bottom, that's when you realize that your hunger and your thirst has to be towards his righteousness. Is that I want this relationship between me and God to be good. And he's already declared it as good. He's already declared you as righteous. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's declared you as righteous. And now what he's saying is our hunger and our thirst shouldn't be for things that do not satisfy. Because outside material possessions, relationships with people... Those things never fully satisfy. We think that they do, but they never fully satisfy. He says the only thing that brings satisfaction is when we hunger and thirst for the right things. And the right things are Him. Is this relationship with Him that we hunger for every word, that we thirst just to be in the presence of God. This is why Jesus, when He comes to the woman at the well, He says, if you'll drink of this water, you'll never thirst again because I am the living water. Jesus is the sustainer of life. He's the one that we hunger and thirst after. And he gives the promises that when we hunger and thirst after him, we will inherit the earth. We'll inherit the kingdom. And see, what, what he's saying here is, and we're going to get into this here in a couple of weeks, and, and it's going to get a little dicey, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you up front, that we live in two kingdoms, right? We, we have some people that live in the kingdom here on earth, but but God has called us, we're citizens of another kingdom. It doesn't mean that you can't be patriotic. It doesn't mean that you can't love your country. I love our country. I'm glad I'm in the United States. I'm glad we have a Bill of Rights. But this is temporary. This is temporary. My citizenship above everything is that as I am a son of the king, and my place is the kingdom of heaven. And you and I have been called to live that way. That we're, we're not to reflect the world. See, the world is not admitting that, hey, we're broken. We can't do anything about it. We just keep throwing fixes to things. We keep throwing statements. We keep throwing opinions at things, trying to make things better. Because we, we're doing it the world's way. Like, we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're hungering and thirsting for being right. And there's a big difference. Because we, we want to, we, it's all about us, 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 us. And Jesus is saying, if you'll just listen to what I'm preaching... If you'll just listen to these, these statements that he is giving, he's saying it's not about you. Because, see, we've gotten ourselves into a mess in our world, have we not? You know how we've gotten there? Because we've not walked in the ways of the Lord. We've not walked the paths of God. And I'm not trying to bring in a Christian kingdom here on earth. What I'm trying to do is expose to where Jesus is at work. 
and, and where he's moving. And, and see, these principles that Jesus is calling out here is helping us to understand because you can never help people if you don't know where you've been and where you are and what he's done for you. See, this is the power of your testimony. This is the power of your story. Because if you'll think about it, when the disciples, when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, in just a matter of years, the gospel has been spread to almost every known people group of that time. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have printing presses. They had nothing. The only thing the disciples had was the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of their testimony. And here's what your testimony is. And, and by the way, they changed the world with those two things. Because there's enough room for the Holy Spirit to be working within the church. You, you agree with that? He needs to be let loose. I, I've told people I grew up in churches. The Holy Spirit was locked away in the janitor's closet because we didn't know what to do with it. But here's the deal. When you recognize that you're a sinner, when you recognize that Jesus is the thing that I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after, it changes the perspective on the way that I view other people, I speak with other people, and have relationships with other people. Because I see them not through my world eyes of, I don't like where you stand on this issue, or I don't like that opinion, or I don't like the things that you post. I see you the way that Jesus does. It breaks my heart. But I see you the way that Jesus does. And I don't want to make bold statements. I don't want to make quick comments. I want to sit down and have conversations with people. Right? Because we live in a world of offense, don't we? Everybody gets offended about everything. This week I posted uh, um, a picture that I thought was funny. But it was a post. Like, it literally was a yellow post. A post. Y'all following me? Like, the ones that y'all, when you try to park, we end up hitting with the bumper. That post. And it had the little metal hooks on the side so they could hook chain and it looked like this and it was yellow and I was like here's my angry post because the post looked angry well of course somebody got offended by the post I was like you're literally offended by a literal post it looks like a bunch of Christians online that don't like the way that we're trying to throw religion on people and I was like whoa coming in hot you know what I mean in in my brain, in my brain, I wanted to educate. Like, number one, this is a joke. Number two, this is a physical post in a post. Number three, you need to pull back on whatever your problem is because you, you, you need to find something else to do with your life. Like, I really, that's the way I wanted to come at it, Right? Because I, I needed to be right about my post of, about my post. <laughs> but I'm like, no. No, I actually had a couple of you text me like, who's this guy that's posting on your post post? It's like, he seems a little bitter. I'm like, well, he, he's, he doesn't like posts, man. So at some point, he hit the post with his car, and he's equated that to Christians. But see, I could have done that in the moment could have done that in the moment and could have shared three points because pastors will share their points and here's my three and it probably would have put them all in line and they would have spelled out a word like dumb here you go <laughs> but what good would that have done because see here's what happened to him he's offended and ticked and mad at the church it's a deeper issue he's not mad about a post of a post. He, he's mad because he's been offended by something within the church. 
Now, I have one or two options in this scenario. I can prove my point and make my statement and put my foot down and defend what I put online, or I can have a conversation with him off, offline and, and say, man, what's going on? Because there's a deeper issue. Because there's no way you're that upset about a post. What's, what's going on? What's in your heart? What's bothering you? Why do you feel this way? Why are you so offended? Now, wouldn't you agree with me that that approach takes us a lot further down the road to point people to Jesus than me standing up going, hey, moron, it's a post of a post. Now I'm going to go to your house, and I'm going to put a post in your yard. So you have to look at it every day. Like, one of these things pushes us closer to the kingdom of heaven, and the other one pushes us towards the kingdom of hell. You following me? So Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful. I, I was trying to find ways to illustrate this all week, and then he gave me a beautiful illustration about being offended by a post. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. So what am I doing in this situation? I'm inviting conversation to the table. I don't agree with what he says. I felt like he labeled me. He just fully labeled me of who I was. But the Father has set up the table to have a conversation about the kingdom. And now we, we get to have that. And this is what Jesus is telling us, that blessed are those who are merciful. Because if you're merciful, the merciful will receive mercy. Don't we like to be on that receiving end of mercy? Mercy of forgiveness. One of the Greek words I love is to have pity on. Like this is what God says, is that when we're compassionate and forgiving and we have pity on other people, this is what we receive. Because wouldn't, aren't we glad that God doesn't hold us to the same standards that we hold other people? Because if he were to go back and start holding things against me that I've said, that I've done. Think about that question for you. If God were to go back and came after you for everything that you've ever said and held it against you, how's that conversation look in your head? It's not good. But he's given us mercy. And in, in today's culture, we are still called to be merciful. It doesn't mean that we pull back. It doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. But we do it with grace and we do it with mercy. Let me tell you why. Let me give you a couple of reasons of why we do that. We show mercy to other people because God has shown us mercy. And so we can't be trying to give out Something that God has not asked us to give. Because we, we, of all people, if we have gone through the rest of this Sermon on the Mount, and we've heard the gospel story that Jesus has told us thus far, then we have to understand that we live under mercy. The fact that you and I woke up this morning and took a breath is the mercy of God. And, you're, and I know there are people that you're thinking they didn't deserve to take a breath this morning. But that's the general mercy of God that he has given us life today. 
It says mercy. And when you realize that God is mercy, I love the verse, and I'm not even trying, I think it's Lamentations, but don't hold me accountable. He says this, that God makes his mercies new, you ready for this part? Every morning. Here's the good news. It'll never run out. Now you woke up this morning, God had given you brand new mercies in your bank because he knows that you and I are going to do dumb things today. We're going to say things, we're going to damage some relationships, we're going to push some people away from Jesus, but he has given us mercy in those situations. And, and this is what he's saying is that blessed, blessed are those who give mercy, who show mercy, who practice mercy because you will receive mercy. And you've got to understand that God has shown you and I mercy. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God's mercy is so abundant, it is so full, it is fulfilling, it is everything that we need. That God's mercy is so abundant, and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life in Christ. And it is by God's grace that you and I have been saved. Did you catch that? While you and I were spiritually dead, God was working in his mercy so that we could be saved by his grace. What is grace? It's what you and I don't deserve. That's God's reward at Christ's expense. There's your acronym today. I didn't do anything to earn it. Did you catch the wording that Paul says here? While I was spiritually, what was that word? Spiritually what? Have you been around dead people? They don't do anything. Now, you watch them long enough, you think they do something. I remember I was working, um, I was an EMT for a season in my life, a very small, short season of my life. And one of the calls we went on was, was someone had passed away in the home and they left me in the home to watch the body while they went back outside to do all the other stuff. Okay? I'm, I'm 20 years old. I don't have enough life experience. And they've entrusted me with this potential crime scene to watch that body. So I found my way to the doorway. And I made sure the door was open. And I was like laser focused on this body. And, you know, I swear the thing was breathing. He was moving. Because I had already determined if this body moved, I was out. Like, it was, done, it was done deal. And here's the thing. The body never moved. Because dead people do what dead people do. Nothing. And Paul knew this. And Paul says, while you're spiritually dead, he wants to drive this point home. While you were spiritually dead, you did nothing. You just laid there, breathless, lifeless. And through God's mercy and God's grace, he has given you salvation. Don't think that you did this on your own. Because blessed are those who are poor in spirit, they recognize. Because you and I have been made alive in Christ, it is by God's grace that we have been saved. It's not by our merit. It's not by the things that we've done. It's not by our associations. It is by God's grace that we have been saved. So in the way that God has given you and I mercy, he wants us to act out in that same way towards people around us. He wants me to pass on mercy that I've received for him and show that 
to other people. He wants me to, to give it to other people, to have compassion and forgiveness on people. It's difficult. It's easy to preach this. It's easy to say this. But you have people in your mind right now that you're knowing that they're not deserving of mercy. But can I tell you? They are. And I'll tell you how I know this. Because when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying for them too. And that's, and I'm like, hmm. There's got to be some theology that maybe he forgot somebody's name, right? Because that's how I feel sometimes. But he says that we need to give this mercy. It's not easy. And it, and it could be, and, and let me not downplay this. I don't, I don't want you thinking that having mercy means that you got to go throw a party and hang out with them, and this is all a good time, and we're going to pretend like nothing ever happened. Because Paul also says, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And peace may mean we don't have a relationship right now. The way for me to love you is not to be around you. Y'all got people like that, right? Don't, don't shake your head. Don't want you to incriminate yourself. We're to have mercy on other people because God's mer God had mercy on us. So that's the first reason that we give mercy. Here's the second reason. Because God commands us to have mercy with other people. He commands us to have mercy. And this is just not a New Testament thing. See, God commanded us to have mercy in the Old Testament. When a time where mercy was needed. Because if he gave anybody mercy and grace, it was the Israelites. These Hebrew people. God would bring them out of slavery. God would put them into a position to where they could have anything they wanted in a promised land. But they kept sinning and messing up. And God would let them, okay, you're going to do that. I'm going to give you over to the people that go to Babylon, they go to the Syrians. And they go through persecution after persecution and oppression after oppression. And God tells them this in Micah. He says, God has told you. God has told you what is good, and he's told you what he requires from you. So, so listen, he told you what is good, and he told you what is required of you. So whatever comes next is what God says is good and is required of you. You follow that? So here's what he requires. Three things. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love the order of that, that we do what is right. That's righteousness. To love mercy, because to love mercy, I understand that I receive it, and because I receive it, I love it, because I know it's on the other side of not getting mercy. So I'm to love mercy, and when I understand mercy, I have no problem walking humbly with God because I realized it wasn't me to start with. So he says, God has told you what, what is good, he has told you what is required from you, and that is to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly humbly with God. If you want to summarize what life is all about, God says that this is what's required of you if you're in the family, if you're a kingdom citizen, is that these are the things that we are striving for and the things that we're seeking for, that we will do right with other people, that we're going to be loving mercy with other people, that we're going to do everything to be walk humbly in fellowship with God. And this is the requirement. Matter of fact, God says, you ready? God says that being merciful is more important than worship. Right? Here, here's, here's where I mean by that. In Hosea, chapter 6. Hosea is a fantastic book, probably one of my, my favorite books of the Old Testament. God 
tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. It was symbolism for how Israel was treating the king and treating Jesus, or treating the father. And, and he marries a prostitute. And the long story short, like she keeps hurting him, hurting him, hurting him, hurting him. And he's doing everything that he's supposed to to lovingly pursue this relationship. And in Hosea chapter 6, God says this. He says, I did, I did not want, and I do not want your sacrifices. I want you to be merciful. Now, does that mean that we don't worship? That's not what that means. But what it means is don't come in here and lift your hands up and tell Jesus how great he is and then go out there and treat people like they're nothing. Don't go out there and, and bash people. Don't go out there and have zero relationship with people and show no compassion. and show like Don't do that. So he, he's telling us that I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your worship if you're not being merciful. I want you to be merciful. Because when we're merciful and having compassion, we have mercy on others because we've realized the mercy that God has given us. And when I realize the mercy that God has for me, I have to act that out because I'm, I'm like, I have to do this because this is what has been done for me. And I know the life change that it's had for me. And guess what that causes me to do? I worship Jesus much differently. Because I don't worship him as some entity that I don't know exactly where he's at. I worship a God who is merciful and who cares. It changes the dynamic of how we approach our Father. Isn't that right? And this is how you end up loving what's right and doing what is right. Because I want to do what's right, not because I have to. That's a burden mindset. I do it because I want to, because I have a Father that loves me and is merciful. And I want to give that to people. And I'm going to walk humbly with him in fellowship because I want to do what the Father wants me to do. This verse in Hosea chapter 6 was so important that Jesus actually quotes it two more times in his ministry. In two totally unrelated situations when he's debating with the Pharisees, he tells them the same thing. I think it's one of the most important verses in the scripture is that we are to give mercy. Now let me give you a couple of quick points. How do we be merciful? Okay, This is the application piece. We know we've got to be merciful because God has been and he has commanded us to. So how do we do that? You've got to be patient with people's little quirks. I'm going to let that one sit out there for just a second. But you're going to have to be patient with people's quirks. You're going to have to be patient when people put things on your post of your post and not fire back. Because, see, it might be just God setting up a conversation. It might be God at work, or it could just be God giving a sermon illustration. you got to be patient with people's quirks. You show mercy when you, when you don't get irritated, when you don't get angry, when you don't get tight with people's personal quirks. Because we all have personal quirks. Come hang out with me for a day. What was that? Come hang out with me for a day. I'm going to do something that's going to get on your nerves. You don't amen a whole lot, but you amen that. I have quirks. You have quirks. My kids have quirks. Like, we'll sit at the table, and we're eating. Can you chew with your mouth closed? I am. Excuse you? Yep. Siri, play, and we'll just have music playing. I have to be patient with that. I can't chew him loudly. Right? Anybody with, with me on that? Okay. Chewing gum, smacking gum, those things. You got to be patient with those quirks. It's, it's little mannerisms and irritating habits that people have. 
we all have those. We all have those. And when we can control anger, and when we refuse to get upset by people's quirks, we're showing mercy in a very practical way. It's how we respond to things. Ephesians 4 says this, that always, always, what's that word? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You've got to make allowance with your personal quirks. That's one of the hardest things about counseling with people. You sit down, they pour the heart out of what's going on. You kind of help steer the conversation to help them see differently. Because all counseling is is changing perspectives for people. To see the situation differently in a new light under something different. And you, and you paint this new clear picture of what it can be and what it really is versus what they see. Because when we're in the middle of problems, it's the worst of the worst. But when we can have somebody turn us and, and we get these clear steps of how to, to move forward in whatever the situation is. And, we don't, and they don't do anything to move forward. And the situation gets worse and worse. And it's like, I can either be merciful here or I can tell them, please don't waste my time anymore. Y'all been there too? You have those friends that have done that? This, this, is, this is part of the quirks. This is part of us having to be humble and be gentle. with pe- Being gentle is a very big piece of this. See, let's go back to the post of the post. You know why you have to be gentle there? Because the world has been so aggressive and rough. So what do you think he's expecting from me? You're a Christian, you're going to be aggressive, and you're going to be rough. But see, Jesus has called us, called us to be something different. He's called us to be gentle. Gentle with this conversation. I don't agree with you, but let me paint a picture of what Jesus says here. So, so somewhere along the way, you got a bad version of who Jesus is. You want to be merciful, be patient with people's quirks, also help anybody who is hurting around you. Well, where can we serve? Um, where's there a need? Everywhere. Sometimes serving doesn't look like just being in a kid's classroom or operating behind a computer or running a camera or being on a worship team. Sometimes serving means you sitting down at a coffee shop having a conversation with a friend. Sometimes serving looks like you inviting a couple over who is struggling over to dinner and just loving them and caring for them. Finding the husband and wife who just had a baby and they're stressed out because they haven't had time away and just saying, bring your kid to my house. Go out on a date. Serving looks different. We, we find people who are hurting around us and we often don't see it because we're too busy to not see it. And, and this is the problem is that when we, when we understand the mercy that God had for us, he was noticing us. He saw the problem. We, we've got we to gotta be watching one of those things comes down to praying, asking God to reveal these things to us, to show us, give us somebody today to speak to. Give me somebody today to serve. Proverbs 3.27 says, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Do good to those who need it whenever you possibly can. But we've got to be noticing it and we've got to be looking. We've got to pay attention to what's around us. Here's the third thing. You've got to give people a second chance. That was tough. Because some, some, it's like, man, some people don't deserve second chances. But you know what salvation is? It's a second chance. That's what the gospel is. Because first chance, we blew it. Second chance, Jesus made it right. And, and everybody needs that. And give people a second chance. That's not normal. And again, this doesn't mean that you have to go have a barbecue with them. 
and you aren't best friends all of a sudden and that you need to refriend them on your social media pages. But if you normally when somebody hurts us, we want to do two things. We want to get even or we want to write them off. And sometimes we do both of those. We circle all of the above. Somebody hurts you, you don't want to be giving them a second chance. Your natural inclination is to get them back and write them off. Am I right? Not the only one that does that. Okay. I am a very, very sinful person. I never realized the depth of my sin until I preach with you guys. Because y'all just hang me out there. But again, Ephesians 4, it says this. Don't get bitter or angry or use harsh words that hurt each other. Don't yell at one another or curse or ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. And I have to go back and think, oh my gosh, how has Jesus forgiven me? What did I do? I didn't do anything. I was a jerk. Matter of fact, there was one point in the scripture where God called you and me enemies of him. So notice in that verse, the Bible contrasts mercy with six negative responses. He says, because he says, if you want to be merciful, don't get bitter. That's the first thing. And then don't get angry. Don't use harsh words. Don't yell. Don't curse. And don't be rude. This is why mercy is so important today, because that's the way the world acts towards everything. And we have been called to live differently. So how would you rate yourself on a scale of how merciful you are? Do, do you feel that you're bitter? Are you angry? Do you have harsh words? Do you yell? Do you get rude with people? What is your response? Here's the second, the fourth thing is you need to do good to those who hurt you. And sometimes doing good for those, the first thing that you can do that is good for those who have hurt you is to pray for them. I had somebody that, that hurt. I mean, the hurt was just tremendous. It sent me into a tailspin. I didn't know how to handle it. I had never felt so betrayed. I had never felt so hurt in my entire life. Didn't know what to do with it. I called a pastor friend of mine, and I said, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do about it. I'm bitter. I am angry. I want to go and just honestly just throat punch somebody. Like, I would be totally okay with that. I don't. This is not okay. I don't know what to do. Please give me the five steps to get over this. He said, here's one. Pray for them. I was like, well, I can do that. I'm going to pray that, that God would just strike. He said, no, 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 no. No. You're going to pray that God gives them blessings and they realize where it comes from. He said, Robert, you're going to pray more for them in this season than you're going to pray for yourself and your own family. I was like, mm-mm. That's not, I like Moses' prayer in Numbers when he says, you either kill them or kill me. That's kind of the prayer I'm looking for here. And, and he said, that's not how we do this. And I spent the next months, like months, praying for my enemy to be blessed, to recognize the love of God. Now, God didn't, there's nothing that I saw change in this person's life. But I can tell you where I saw change. Because bitterness was gone. I was handling it gentle. I was being a lot more kind in my prayer. It was rough to begin with because I would throw some things in there every once in a while just to, you know, to make me feel better. But Jesus says in Luke 6 that you've got to love your enemies, you've got to do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I'm pretty sure they were not praying for me. They were talking about me. They were saying things about me. They were writing thoughts and irritants about me. They weren't praying for me. And I didn't expect that, hey, I'm praying for you, you should be praying for me. I'm asking God to bless you, you should bless me. Ask Him to bless me. You've you got to love people understanding that 
you're not going to get anything back from it. It's not about what they do. It's about what the Father does in the middle of all of this stuff. Here's the last thing. Build bridges of love with, to the unpopular people. Build bridges of love to unpopular. The unpopular, the, the outcast. There are people in your circle who a lot of people want to hang out with. There are people that you've seen that nobody wants to hang out with because they have different belief systems. They have different, um, they have different everything. They, they, systems, they, they do things differently. And, and, and this is the thing, it's like, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a plumber that's a Christian. Great, I, I think we should support Christian businesses, but at the same time, here's the way I look at it, and this is me, but I don't care who, if you're Christian or not Christian, if you can fix my pipe because i got a leak, and here's the good news, if you're a non-Christian and come into my house, I have an opportunity just to show the love of Christ to you. Right? Like, I, I have an opportunity. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for ways to put myself in position to love people to care for people, no matter what they are, because I'm not the one that, that saves people. Jesus is. I'm the mouthpiece. I want to I be a, a place that can build bridges to show how to get to Jesus, to show his love, his gentleness, his compassion, his care, his mercy, his grace, and his truth. That's what we've been called to do. And, and let me tell you, they have a different belief. I've got friends who, who believe in Islam. I've got friends who, who believe in other religions who don't believe at all that are atheists. I'm totally okay with that. Because by being gentle and loving, guess who has a seat at the table to be able to have real conversations with them and help them work out what it is that God's trying to show them? But, but if I go back and I just bash and, and tell them how wrong they are and all these other things, I lose my voice. This is why Jesus is saying this is so important. These disciples were fighting a culture that was so harsh in the Roman culture. And he didn't want the church to lose their voice. And so he's telling them, have these conversations. Be honest. Don't be a coward. Have a backbone. Preach the gospel. But do it with truth and with grace. Be gentle. Be merciful. Because what you're going to find is it's not the political opinion that is the problem. It's a heart issue. Because at the end of the day, every one of us is poor in spirit. And what we've got to do is take the mercy, because we've realized it. We've got to take that mercy that we've realized we didn't deserve and compassion on the other people so that they will realize it. And if you feel like you got a vent, get you a group of friends just to share, like, oh my gosh, this has got on my, I can't, I don't, what, what is the world coming to? But be gentle and compassionate. I call it premeditated mercy. I know when I, I log on to Facebook, I know I'm, I'm going to see something, read something, Twitter is the greatest place to do it, that I'm going to read something I 100% disagree with. I know it. So I have premeditated mercy. When I log on, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to probably shake my head at some things. Probably going to screenshot some things. Just not to hold weapons against people. But the process, I'm going to have premeditated mercy. Isn't that the way we need to live our lives? Because blessed are those who are merciful. Well, they'll receive the mercy. If we live life with premeditated mercy, that I'm going to give mercy to anybody. I'm already planning today that somebody's going to get mercy. 
I'm going to be compassionate and forgiving to somebody. I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to care for somebody today. That's where I'm going. Because Jesus' promise is this. If you do that, you will receive mercy. You know where you're going to receive that mercy from? Not from these people, but from the Father. From the Father. Jesus wasn't afraid of guilt by association for two reasons. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what his mission was. He knew who he was. He didn't need the approval of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He didn't need that approval. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew his mission was to seek and to save the lost. We cannot seek and save the lost if we refuse to go where the lost are, because that's why they're not coming here. You got to go to them and love them and care for them and guide them in the light of Jesus because when Jesus is shared as the light, he exposes all of the sin. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much today that you have given us mercy and grace upon grace upon grace, as Paul would say. We we live in such a time to where the church can have a voice of mercy. If we will handle the conversations in the way that your scriptures tell us to, God, we can have grounds to preach the gospel and see lives changed. So I pray today that, Father, in in these next moments that two things will happen, that your spirit would remind us of how far away we were from you. And that we'd remember that moment that you would come in and save us. And the mercy that was granted to us on that day is the same mercy that we stand in today. New mercies made new every single day. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.